0: It's Paolo here from The Song Will Go On and we're celebrating our podcast launch by giving away some free stuff to our listeners. We'll be giving away some classic soundtracks on vinyl, as well as free gift cards to music services like Tidal and Spotify. From three months of free premium subscriptions to the grand prize of one year of premium Spotify. To win or to win, all you have to do is leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot, share it on social media and tag us in it. And then at the end of the month, we'll announce the winners via Instagram Live. Not only can you win some great free stuff, but you also help us grow our podcast and make sure then not only the song will go on, but the podcast will go on. And now, let's start the pod! On today's episode, search your heart, search your soul. And when you find this pot, you'll search no more. Oh shit! It's our first movie power ballad! everything that i do i do it for you by brian adams from the 1991 film robbie hood prince of thieves let's start the pod And welcome to the song will go on the podcast, inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. Today, Robin of Loxley shoots a Cupid arrow straight into our hearts. We're talking about the song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams from the 1991 film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And joining us in the words of Robin, she is truly a great one. It's our co-host, Sofia Matano. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. It is true, Sophie. you are a great one. <laughs> Today's guest though, coming back, his second stint on The Song Will Go On. He's the host of the YouTube channel, The Vinyl Score. And like Robin, he also enjoys a great bath at his favorite waterfall, Punch bowl. It's David Valentine. What's up, David? Hey, who told you? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Thank God we're friends because I was like, is this too, like, weird of a joke? I don't know. David no, will roll with it. It's
1: When it's the truth, I, you just have to go with it. But that's exactly how I would bathe in a waterfall anytime.
0: David, it's great to have you back on the pod, man. And for anyone listening... This is how great David's range in music taste is. The two songs that he picked when I reached out to him to talk about were Immigrant Song" by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and Carrie O. From the Dark and Greedy film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which we cover on the episode two. And then the other one was Brian Adams' ballad from Robin Hood. You know, that says it all. And that's why you gotta check out his YouTube channel, The Vinyl Score, because that's what I love, David. I love your music taste as someone who... Never misses a video you drop. Like, I always discover some really great music, man. So props to you on that flex, that range. Where to go. Hey, thanks. You know, it takes a minute. It takes a lot of moods to make my life go, you know? Now, I have to say, though, this song I had on my pot wish list when we started brainstorming about the pod. Oh, it so is glad. such a pivotal moment, I feel like, in movie songs history. And I have so much vivid memory of it. As a kid, watching this song become such a huge hit. I think it's a quintessential movie, Power Ballad, which actually is a really great subgenre of movie songs and one that will definitely cover a lot, I hope, in this pod. But, David, it wasn't me who picked the song. Again, it was you. Why this song, man? Because this song reaches across the
1: world from middle school dances (laughs) all the way way to weddings across the world uh, to all the soft rock Power Ballad radio stations. Across the globe. A lot of ways This wins. is a great unifier. That's why I picked it.
0: Uh, you're not wrong. Apparently, not to get ahead of ourselves, this was a global hit. I think 16 countries. Before we get to the song, and I really, truly cannot wait. You know what time it is. We have to talk about its creator. Yes, the movie. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. Without the movie, we wouldn't have a song. And without Sophie's majestic (laughs) setup, we wouldn't have a pot, so Sophie, do your thing. Please set up the film for us so we can talk about it.
2: Okay, let's get into it. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a 1991 action adventure film based on the figure of English folklore, Robin of Locksley. It was directed by Kevin Reynolds and stars Kevin Costner as Robin, Morgan Freeman as Azeem, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio as Maid Marian, and Alan Rickman as the Sheriff of Nottingham.
0: Man, Sophie, when it's my time to do like a film or song setup, I- I'm gonna struggle with the names. I'm so glad so I don't pressure. have to do that part. That's like the most difficult part of the <laughs> yeah. plot. I <I'm> just like, <laughs> you do it, Sophie. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so let's get into the plot of this one. After being captured during the Crusades, Robin of Loxley and Azeem escape to Robin's home in England. While Robin was gone, his father was murdered by the brutal Sheriff of Nottingham, who helped install Prince John as King, while King Richard is overseas fighting. Not a great soldier, he got captured. Just saying, hot take. (laughs) Robin vows to avenge his father's death and restore Richard to the throne. Robin and Azim join forces with outlaws Little John and Will Scarlet, played by Nick Brimble and Christian Slater, to rid the kingdom of the Sheriff's tyranny and to save Maid Marian from his slimy clutches.
0: That's the most important. We gotta save her.
2: I know. We gotta gotta get the girl. Interestingly, we almost didn't get Costner as Robin. He had actually turned down the project after reading the script. It seems the main reason Reynolds was chosen to direct was to get Costner, as the two had worked together on Dances with Wolves. Hopefully this film didn't sour their relationship, because reportedly it was Reynolds who directed Costner to use his American accent instead of attempting an English one, which he decided would be too distracting.
0: Mm, (laughs) Take it back, that decision. If only if I could turn back time.
2: (laughs) Well, the studio was definitely aware that rumors were swirling about Costner's poor performance to the point that they asked for multiple editing sessions to try, keyword being try, to boost his performance and downplay Rickman's as he was totally
0: stealing the I, show. I wish it could have been like a fly I'm, on that set because I'm sure everyone, the crew was like- Everyone knew. I, like at lunch, <laughs> that is the number one topic of discussion. Like, are you guys like, is it just me? And everyone's like, no, we we're all thinking it, man. Yeah. We we're all thinking it, but shh, he's sitting right over there. Like, don't get fired.
2: <laughs> well, unfortunately this was in vain. Costner's performance, the screenplay, and just the film in general were criticized and open to mixed, mostly negative reviews. But who cares? Because Rickman and Freeman's performances were praised. Rickman got a BAFTA, actually, so suck on that, Warner Brothers. It was a box office smash hit. Ching-shing. Yeah, (laughs) grossing 25 million its open weekend and more than $390 million worldwide. This God. makes it the second highest-grossing film of 1991. Can either of you guess which was the first?
0: Absolutely, I'll be back. Just T2, man, James Cameron, our boy, my Terminator Two. Terminator
2: Two, Judgment Day. This is such
0: a lucky film to be number two grossing that year. Like, what a way to overachieve.
2: You. Well, you know what? This was a great year for movies in the top ten. Actually, three of my favorites are three four and five that's number three beauty and the beast number four hook and number five the silence of the lambs
0: wait this made first off amazing tree picks those are also (laughs) some of my favorite films but this made more money in silence of the lambs like yeah, what it did. the and hell?
2: Hook like, made more money than Silence of the Lambs.
1: It might be the rating. It's a
0: good PG, PG thirteen versus R. Sure. I was petrified of the Silence of the Lambs poster in Blockbuster. Like, I wouldn't even oh, yeah. look near it. I would like, I'm not going in that section, that poster. I was like six years old. Five I know, but old, you, you know? were kind
2: of like, I want to know what that's all about. Right? I, oh, that's <laughs> the thing. Also, like,
0: I do want to know what that's all yeah. about, but I'm not gonna go in that section. I'm just gonna stay over here.
2: Okay. Well, aside from Rickman's breakaway performance, the song by Brian Adams is probably the standout of the film. But since we can't talk about that just yet, let's discuss the movie. I'm very eager to hear what both of you have to say.
0: We couldn't do a discussion without your setup. Thank you so much, <laughs> David. The spotlight's on you. Let's start with you, man. What's, what's your connection to this film? Like, I, I I know that you picked the song, but did you also pick the film? I definitely would pick this film. This film (laughs) came out when I was like 10 years
1: old. Uh, Prime, prime time for me. I was all over this. It made me wish I was, uh, it made me wish I had a bow and arrow instantly. I wanted to be an archery expert. Uh, Perfect adventure style movie for me. Also. Did you ever um, accomplish that dream, archery? I, I did try. I did try. It is very hard. It is a hard skill to master. But yeah, I, I definitely mean, tried.
0: Not according to this movie. If you're a peasant with no skills, it only takes you a quick montage, montage <laughs> to be like, "Let's go and like turn this." Well, what's what it called? Like, I don't know, government or tyranny? Like well, what? did they have? I, I, yeah,
1: I, I told they're trying to overthrow yeah. their tyrannical government yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think for me, my montage just didn't work out. I was the one in the montage that just kept fumbling, and I <laughs> you, never you made just, it just the focus second on half half of waterfall the waterfall and the
0: bathing waterfall. Yeah, I, yeah like, exactly. Ah, that's my
1: that's my strong suit. No, exactly. No, it had a, it was probably a mix too like when we had a certain amount of VHS tapes in my house, this is this was one Great of them. House. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. So we, it had a lot of replay value. It was also one that was deemed really okay for me to watch. So when I had kind of the green light, I just I just really abused this one. And uh, I know we'll talk about music in all always, but I love the music throughout this film. And in every aspect of it, I think the music's really, really, really. Oh fun. yeah. I, I also, when you're ten, I, I, you just don't notice things like bad accents. The
0: film worked perfectly for me, <laughs> you know. It was great, Sophie. I feel like when you're ten, that's exactly what you would have noticed bad accents. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I know you well, I'm sure that is. But I'm curious, Soph. Have you ever seen this film before the pod?
2: Not before the pod. I I have Were to Were you know. aware what? of it? Were you aware of it? I was aware of it. Yeah. Mostly because of Robin Hood Men in Tights. Me I, <laughs> yes, I, I saw that knew, first. I knew that it was a parody <laughs> sure. of this, but I never quite made it to seeing the, the original. Spoiler. way wow. better film. I'm just going to say. Wow. It. Yeah.
0: Pris, you know, it's
2: know good. A parody
0: is better than the original. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And you know what? If we're comparing Robin to Robin, I'm going to give it to Carrie Elwes. I think he
1: was fantastic in that movie. I don't yes. know if I can handle this. I'm, I'm sorry. really struggling the the slander. Well, uh, oh my gosh. Okay,
2: well then I think we're we're going to have a differing of opinion on this movie because it's on.
0: Okay, okay.
2: I did not enjoy it. I except Whoa. for Alan Rickman. Except for Alan Rickman's performance,
0: he's in a different movie though. He's a
1: heat seeker in this movie. He I want to see through this movie. Yeah.
2: I want to see the cut before they minimized him. Like, cause he, he was apparently acting circles around Kevin Costner. So they yeah. had to
0: minimize his. Apparently role. there is a longer cut of the film on Blu-ray, which adds some missing scenes. And yeah, most of the added scene feature Alan Rickman's character. And apparently those were cut, like you said, to boost customer performance. Uh, spoiler did not work. I think he steals steals the movie. This totally. is his movie. And also apparently the some of the scenes that were cut were between like him the sheriff and the witch and and one scene reveals that the witch is his mother. Really?
1: Oh yeah, I, I watched it today. Why? I'm very fresh. <laughs> I watched the director's cut today. Oh in wow. preparation. Yeah, there's a whole dark there's a whole dark little angle where first of all she's his mom. And also that she's not, it proved very easily that she's not a witch because she's been spying on him the whole time. And so there's a couple more subplots. that I disappear. I hope
0: that in some of those scenes, there's like Alan Rigman saying something like, I mummy, with his accent, like, mummy. What? That's how we talk <laughs> in this film. Like, look, look, that's how we, I'm not making okay, it up. Like, okay. I mean, my impression sucks, yeah, okay. obviously. Who, who can do a great Alan Rigman? But like, I'll just play something. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings, and call off Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my God, he's uh, so good! No Christmas, what a villain! <laughs> call
0: off Christmas. I know. Also, speaking about again about the music, there you go. Also, Michael Kamen with those like bells at the end. He's just like also, just scores also that perfectly, but still, Helen I- Rigman so musical his dialogue was awesome almost a saving grace for me david i want to come back to you uh you're struggling here i can see i'm in morning sense it Mm -hmm. yes but i'll (laughs) ask you a question i'll ask you a question because i feel like i'm in between both of you and i'll get to my reaction first but do you think you are blinded by your connection like do you think that the connection for you this is such a specific connection that you have with your childhood and everything. Like, are you open to that? Or are you like, nah, 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 nah. Forget about well, that. This is a complete, like, banger of a film. I think this is a banger of a film. but Love if, it. If Double you, down. I'm you, all in.
1: The well, chips are in. You, but there is no part of me that thinks that this is a perfect film. It just really works for me. Uh, and, and I think it's a lot of fun. I don't think it's underrated or something. Like, it deserves some sort of hidden accolades and, and things like that. But for an adventure film from the 90s, it's it looks great. The action's paced, paced really well. The action's really fun. Costner's a little meandering. I think my biggest blind spot is that I love Robin Hood in general as a kid, and I liked him as a kid, so his performance now does not faze me in the least. I know exactly what it is. I'm on board.
0: I have a similar origin story like you, David. This was one of the first blockbusters I ever saw as a kid. And I feel like it was the first of many. I I was very impressed by the scale of it. As a kid, this felt like Lawrence of Arabia to me. And also probably one of the first like period pieces that that concept I wasn't used to at that moment. It was just very pivotal film. I always had a relationship with the film because of, because of Michael Kamen's orchestral score. Which, if you're a film music, this is kind of really high up in in Hall of Famer moments for a composer. But researching for the par, man, this really went down on my estimate. I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I remember. The plot just, like, just loses momentum in a couple of places. And I watched this film on Tubi because I don't have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> and by the end of it, I was like, yeah, you know, this feels like a Tubi movie now. I think, oh. this was, I think this was an appropriate place to watch yeah. the film.
1: I don't think that's unfair. I don't think yeah. that's unfair. As a person who owns the Director's cut Blu-ray, that doesn't seem out of order. That's fine. This is a great Saturday afternoon kind of a movie. Maybe someone's hungover. <laughs> <You>
0: know, <laughs> this like, is a lounging around, half paying attention. You're fine. Like, it's not something that I'm like, I'm never going to rewatch this. i forget about it. Like, I still have some type of connection. I just, my appreciation for it just really kind of went down. Like, I have to say Kevin Costner's performance, it just has not aged well. I just think he kind of makes, like, I think Robin Hood, I share that with you, David. I think he's a really cool character. His, what do you call that? His legend, like his his mythology, like the concept of Robin Hood, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolute mm -hmm. coolest. You're a kid, so the coolest. I honestly think he makes Robin Hood lame in this movie. I'm just gonna, jury, exhibit A. This is English courage. I couldn't stand him in this movie, and I'm, I'm 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 okay with Costner. I'm a fan of a lot of his work, some of it, but Maybe, I just I just couldn't help the gap between Alan Rigman and how much I was enjoying that. Robin Hood's too much. It's too good of a character to sort
1: of I, be this. I do think there's plenty of um, poor choices around kind of white savior.
0: Yes, glorifying
1: the crusades angles that that are. We can get to that in some of the the sections that that have aged uh, like milk. Oh, there's a you know, session. <laughs> there's a
0: session. There's a whole chunk like of it like milk. that. <laughs> like exactly. it has aged horribly, and we'll get to it.
1: In some ways, right? We'll get to it. We we'll get to it, because I have some thoughts about his his friendship with Azim too uh, that that kind of go in the favor of it. But it, you know, I wouldn't it's, even it's touch all... that.
0: I wouldn't even touch that. And you can you still have a feast there of how. It's aged poorly, but first off, let, let, let's get to it. Rating of this movie. Do you guys know what the rating of this movie is? 13 would be my PG guess, but 13, maybe PG. I think. Yeah, how is a movie where the entire climax is a murderer trying to rape a woman? PG 13. Like, what the... Also, apparently, to be PG 13, the only adjustment they did was a cuss word from Christian Slater. That was it. That was the thing that they were like, yo, 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 it's you're you're going way overboard here. So it was gonna no. be
2: R, but Christian Slater swore, so they just took out. Yeah, he said f- okay. He
0: said a f word. The f, oh. and they were like, you, like, yeah, you tripping? We can't like PG thirteen. You got to take that out. Yeah, no problem with everything. I think it's rather bloodless in its violence. You know, it I is. think it's it's pretty cleverly. You know,
1: the the can the the cuts before the chops and the in the things like that. Not that it isn't also traumatic to see. You know. A half dozen people in nooses, you know that has its own kind of trauma. But for the 1991 goggles you can put on, I'm not surprised that 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 it slid through and that they were more concerned about somebody dropping the f bomb.
2: Yeah, for the bloodlessness of the violence and then some of the moments of humor. I think that this movie just sort of had a tone problem.
0: Oh, the end and then like that, that, y- that. Yeah, that rape climax whatever it's a humorous thing it's they like play it, for they play it for laughs and yeah things age poorly it is what it is things age poorly but a lot of things age poorly here that just kind of like ah, you know
2: no sure and and um there were moments where the movie was demanding me to take it more seriously than i felt like it was taking itself and then there were moments of comedy so i was just sort of struggling to where am i supposed to be
0: emotionally while watching this movie It's hard to believe any of the following. One, that is this the best Robin Hood movie? Like, we haven't had a better Robin Hood movies. 1933's Adventures of Robin Hood is, I I like that film, actually, but I don't think that's in a lot of people's mind. It's it's probably because of my enjoyment of the film music that I revisited that, but, like, there's not a lot of people dying to see a 1938 film. Is that
2: an Errol Flynn? Yes. Okay, well, that's obviously a classic, but I know that there is also a Russell Crowe Robin Hood
0: Oh, no, it's it. Never saw yeah, it. it. It's a tough one. No, it's, it's not as fun. Yeah.
2: I'm giving it to the Fox, the Disney version. I'm, oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Well, yeah, it's definitely
0: about- less problematic. I guess what I'm trying to say is looking back, David, you and I agree. We both we, we love the the character Robin Hood. It's a fun Robin Hood. When you when I f- took a step back and look at Robin Hood filmography, is this the best Robin Hood movie? Dang. Like we I'll say
1: I'll say the ultimate version hasn't
0: been made. God knows they are tried, that's a the thing, they've tried to do a good Robin Hood movie, even recently.
1: I bet there's a half dozen in development at all times, you know, that they're trying to kind of make happen.
2: Maybe this gets the award for best Robin Hood movie, but that would have to be excluding the Robin performance, in my opinion. Like I said, I'm still giving it to the Fox. Um, but let's talk about Kevin Costner for a second, because there is a certain subset of the population who had added... Certain time would say that Kevin Costner is the hottest man who has ever graced the earth.
0: Yes, I've heard that. Yes. he had a a prime time.
2: Yes. Sure. And while he is handsome, I will give him that. And I say I don't get it. Like he's he's a better actor than this. I don't really get the like laid back like mullet. Flipping attitude.
1: (laughs) Uh, I do think his hair is a problem in this. It's a big problem. I think. I (laughs) I mean, if you if you set the accent problem aside, which, you know, I I hear conflicting reports on he wanted to do it and he was told no or if he was sucked at it, you know, or whatever.
0: But the hair was fixable.
2: The hair was definitely fixable. We could have have gone period. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Hair and makeup department were like, thank God he's doing that accent. No one's going to notice the shit we did with his hair.
2: Because, okay, so he has a mullet, I guess, to look cool in 91. But Maid Marian has that?
0: Her hair does not do her favor.
2: (laughs) Yeah. What is the direction here that we're going in, in terms of accuracy?
0: But maybe it was like show up to set with your own hair and makeup. I do not think Mary Elizabeth (laughs) has that hair.
2: (laughs) Um. But I just wanted to say, like, maybe in the canon of Robin Hoods, no one's talking about the Disney one, but that fox has sex appeal. Yes, he I've heard does. that. I've heard. He is a sexual <laughs> awakening for a lot of very young people watching that movie, and I think that Fox is sexier and has more <laughs> swag than Kevin Costner in this movie.
0: Oh, that's so funny! Well, I, don't think is, it,
1: I don't think he'll get big arguments. No, this is that. the hill even, I will
2: die on. <laughs> I think even
1: when he's even when he's dressed up as a lady, Fox, I think people find. <laughs> Yeah, he's very.
0: Oh that fox is very accessible in that movie.
2: Yes, he is. Whatever you're into, Robin can do it for you. The funny
0: <laughs> thing is, I would argue also as a kid, Marion falls under that category. Marion oh, is hot. Really, the Disney Marion. Yeah. See,
2: I I wasn't sure because she had that kind of weird veil thing on
0: when she blinks with her.
2: Oh, the blinking. The blinking. I was like the lashes. Yeah. You
1: connect to a good point though about the Disney version too, is that he, you know, that version is far more charismatic and funny and charming. Yes. Than this version I think is intended to be. I think this version is really leaning into this person is spoiled and learning something throughout this story about being closer to to an even foot with people from the country he's from. The other version in Disney is is far more entertaining in that in that capacity.
2: Uh, I will say though, on the sex appeal front, I really appreciate that we just get like a full Marion spying on him like a total horn dog while he's naked. We don't objectify men like that in a lot yeah, of movies, that's true. and I appreciate it. It is
0: a good point. Well, there's also
1: a plot point, okay? Yeah, and she got it's to true. see all his scars from his torturous years of um inappropriately invading
2: uh, right <laughs> the middle east.
1: But, but she saw all of those all of those scars the true he's the true victim finally can we get back to yeah. a white guy being the victim yeah oh, Just took takes so long in this movie yeah. well as a young white kid living in suburban areas this was my this is one of my first exposures to to somebody from the middle east uh in the character of azim and i did learn like I learned that they pray to the East, that they pray yes. at certain times of day, that like there were some things and that I learned and I remember asking my parents to be like, hey, what does it mean to be Moorish? What's a Moor? So for that I am grateful that I learned a lot about Islam through that and and some pieces like that. And it showed him in a positive light for the most part. I think there's a couple moments. Where they use race as a joke that I think, of course, with the blind character, where it falls flat, etc. But I remember thinking that that was really cool to see. And one of the things I take away from it now that I, for the time, I was the first person uh, of an Islam faith I'd ever seen in a movie.
2: So I I think that they handled some of it with some respect and some tact, but his sort of undying devotion to Robin (laughs) was uh, questionable at times.
0: I mean, one thing I can say, this true fact is that he literally carries Robin Hood. Like, he does so much. He's the great fighter. He really is. Robin Hood, it's good, with, smart. The, it's good, it's good with the arrow,
1: but like... A chemist, a doctor. Yes. The amount of times it's shown how much his intelligence, one of his biggest strengths... The looking glass, when he's using the telescope, Robin is mystified by the use of these yeah. these two yeah. pieces of glass and looks like a complete moron. You know, I, I enjoy all of that. And I think they have pretty good chemistry. To
0: close it out, a couple of things, two last things. Fun fact, who won the movie? It's Chuck Connery. He got paid about a million dollars just for one day's work oh in God. the last scene of the movie. Oh, what gotcha. a flex. Okay. Well, you know that what? That is quite a flex. <laughs>
2: Anecdote on top of your anecdote, it was originally supposed to be John Cleese, but then the director was like, he's too funny. We're doing a serious art film here. We need Sean Connery.
0: Yeah, (laughs) the
1: minute John Cleese shows up, people are going to be like, they're going to be quoting Holy Grail immediately. Yeah, there's no way that that Sean Connery was
0: like, I read the script. This is shit. But for $1 million, you know, I'm only 15 minute drive away. I'll yeah. show up. My runner up winners are,
1: will be always Alan Rickman and uh, Michael Kamen, who did the score. I think that those two are like yes. the most They're the high watermarks of this entire of this
0: entire film. <sighs> totally. Last, last question. Oh, my God, we got to move on. But who is better in film, Robin Hood or Legolas? This is such a nerd question. No one cares.
1: Oh, Legolas crushed it. In comparison, in film, I just think he's gotten a nice fair shake. Three films of he took that elephant down, Dominator right? could never take that elephant. That
2: only down. counts as one, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> good gotcha point. There. I think the Hobbit films bring him down just a hair.
0: Yes. God, he was to in the, that. I to the really those Hobbit films. Yeah,
2: he. I mean, he's not in the book. He's not supposed to be there.
0: But no, no, no. That's it for the film. But now it's time. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, oh, yes, <laughs> everything we'll say, we'll say it for you. It's time for the Power ballad, the main event. Let's go. Patreon. Every now and then we need a little support to help make the podcast go on. Patreon, support us. And then Retail we will give you all we got. And we need you now, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, head over to Patreon and support us. We have some really cool perks, exclusive content, and your support will help us grow so we can continue making the show. And then maybe we could afford some singing lessons. Or not sing at all. Just talk about the people who sing. Check us out at The Song Will Go On on Patreon. We are back and we are ready to deep dive into the song of today, our main event. Today it's Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams from the 1991 film, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. We have so much to talk about, so I'm just gonna go straight to you, Sophie. Please. Yeah, there's a lot to cover with Get us on the this way.
2: One. All right, I'm gonna take you back to 1990 in the midst of the marketing movie song trend and Robin Hood's score composer, Michael Kamen, Needs a rock star to adapt his love theme melody into a soundtrack rock ballad. You might recognize Kamen's work with Pink Floyd, Queen, Eric Clapton, Aerosmith, John Bon Jovi, Tom Petty, David Bowie. He conducted the SM album by Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony.
0: If there is a film score composer who, cool. there's no more badass film composer than Michael Kamen. Totally. Like I would, he's like, oh my God. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So clearly this guy can do an orchestral score and he can also handle a rock tune. So initially, Kamen approached a handful of female artists to write a song from Maid Marian's point of view. But this early version of the song was considered bland, and Kate Bush, who I'm so glad is having a moment post Stranger yeah. Things, by the way, yeah, right. uh, Annie Lennox, and Lisa Stansfield all turned down the project. Then he pivots. He approaches male singers. First was Peter Cetera from the legendary band Chicago. <laughs> And he wrote a song for the movie, but it was rejected because Cayman thought the vocals needed a (laughs) rougher sound. I can
0: see that. That's not (laughs) mm, Not not too hard to imagine.
2: Cayman is quoted as saying, I write sweet melodies, and sometimes they need someone to deliver them with enough authority to make sure that you don't fall asleep.
0: Sweet, <laughs> sweet indeed. He, that is true. He yeah. does have some amazing romantic themes.
2: Well, enter Brian Adams. It's been some time since Brian Adams' 1984 album, Reckless, but it had featured hit songs like Summer of 69 and another movie soundtrack song, Heaven, from the 1983 movie, A Night in Heaven.
0: did not know that was from a movie until this yep. episode. That is what I love about <laughs> I the podcast. Didn't yeah. Wow. Amazing.
2: Adams recruited legendary rock composer Robert Mutt Lang, who had just had a global Great. hit with Def Leppard's Hysteria. So, Adams drew inspiration for the lyrics from a line in the film where Robin asks Marion for a favor and she replies, I'll do it for you.
0: Not for the poor people or yeah. the cause. <laughs> for yeah. you you hot yeah not the you cause. hot stuff yeah.
2: <laughs> we almost didn't get the, the version of the song that we have today because producers wanted the song to have instrumentation similar to robin hood's era
0: oh no god no
2: yeah so because of this the song was played during the credits instead of during the film i'm not exactly sure what the producers intended with that request uh so i guess we missed out on some mandolins and lutes Uh, but it's probably a good thing they went with the power ballad version because the song was a massive success worldwide it topped the billboard hot 100 for seven weeks in the u.s and then stayed on the top of the uk singles chart for 16 consecutive weeks and it still holds the record for the longest uninterrupted run (laughs) ever on that chart
0: i saw a comment online in a blog that someone said, my buddy went to jail for an nonviolent crime when this song came out. It was number one. He got out of jail and he, then he was petrified to find <laughs> oh out God. that the song was still <laughs> number it's one. It's still <laughs> there.
2: The single has sold over 15 million copies worldwide, making it Adam's most successful song and one of the best-selling singles of the time. Kamen and Adams would team up again in 1993 for another movie song from a period adventure movie. All for Love from The Three Musketeers
0: sorry i was just shaking no. my head it was such a future episode okay. love that song spoiler let me start over <laughs> no we can keep it keep it keep it keep it. Oh. keep it keep
2: it so sound off on our socials if you want to hear us cover that uh, but now we're here to talk everything I do, I do it for you.
0: Even if you don't hit us on the social, we are talking because I love that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> David, let's start with you. I'm curious, what is your connection to this song? Like, is it on rotation? No. Oh, come this on, This song David. is not no. on rotation. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, because it doesn't need to be.
1: One of the songs that's played was played so much when I was in middle school and on that it's a song i have a lot of affection for but i don't need to hear it i don't need to put it on a mix necessarily or something like that but it's a song that i've cycled through like a love hate and then back to appreciation for (laughs) because it was really really overplayed like i mentioned in the intro um that this lit up middle school dances for years and that is no exaggeration like this was played in any romantic setting oh, for like 10 years of my life, this would be near it, you know, in some capacity. So there's a time where I was like, this song went from the end credits gem, you know, as a kid to an unbearable, not cool power ballad, when <laughs> yeah, I was in cool middle school, high school like, uh... to now it's like come back full circle into something that comes on that, that I have a lot of affection for. I'm not necessarily pulling over to dry my
0: eyes while I try. <laughs> I, I have a lot of affection for it. Sophie. Paolo. You had not seen the movie. No. You've heard this. But song. you knew this. You heard this song. I it's did impossible. know the song. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
2: It is six minutes of pure cheese. And <laughs> sometimes
0: you're in the mood for but, that. I mean, is it like great? Like, oh my God, cheese or craft cheese?
2: It's a Kraft American single. It's a Velveeta. Yeah. It's a real Velveeta. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I actually was, I think, probably given the time frame when I started listening to popular music, I was more familiar with the Brandy version of this song. What?
1: I I thought maybe. I thought maybe a bunch of people are. Yeah. And I heard it for the second conscious time today. Mm -hmm. Like I've never consciously put on put on that brandy version. But today I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I should pop that on. So I listened to the whole thing today. And I noticed it's a good two minutes shorter. We very wisely makes a decision to stop at the four minute (laughs) mark.
0: No, it's true. Everything I do. I do it for you. Sophie, wait. Do you like the Brandy version or are you just like aware of it now?
2: I was aware of it at the time.
0: Oh, oh sorry. Yes, yes. You're aware I.
2: It. it wasn't my favorite Brandy song. I think my favorite was probably The Boy Is Mine or Sitting Up In My Room, which I just learned is, was from a movie. So someone needs to pick it so this that we is, can talk about this it. This is wow. why we do wow. the pod yes. for many reasons. Yeah. But
0: there's so many <laughs> like, oh, my God, that was from a movie. <laughs>
2: Being more aware of that version, but I'm very familiar with uh, Brian Adams' voice, probably from summer of 69, mostly like that's always sure. on the 80s hits radio station.
1: Another mom
0: voice. Yeah. That moms love.
1: Not my mom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your <laughs> mom was Meatloaf Bat out of Hell. My
2: mom's two okay. picks well, are James Taylor and Meatloaf.
0: <laughs> I gotcha.
2: I had to listen to this song a lot to prepare for this podcast. And I think I liked it less and less
0: with each oh, Sophie, repeat say listen. No, say no. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that's an appropriate body body response yeah. to this. I talked in the film that it was like a pivotal film because it exposed me to a lot of things. This is one of the first songs that introduced me to the concept of a hit song on the radio. As a kid, hmm. this was everywhere. I remember being like, This it's the same song, and I'm hearing it all over every time I get in the car in the backseat. Oh, but I hear it like this is thing This is like a very parenthesis But something that broke my heart Doing research for this I used to think again because this had My strong connection for this was as a kid I used to think in the lyrics This song had the word dinosaur in it I, I thought it was like oh. na, 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 Dinosaur Don't tell me It's not Dinosaur doesn't. It broke my heart to find out. I was really into dinosaur back then. Was it like
2: your post Jurassic Park? Yeah, I was. I had had such
0: fun memories. Like, oh man, it's like, and then I'm like doing research for this. Like, there's wait, dinosaurs nowhere. Anyway, this isn't an ode to the Jurassic period. Like, what happened? You know
2: what? That's what this movie was missing. Dinosaurs.
1: (laughs)
0: I would have shook it up. I'll tell you I that. I also, also really remember the music video having a big presence on TV. Yes. With yeah. M- not just MTV, but also another mention. This is like the third time in this pod, but the Box Music Channel.
2: Only on the Box Music Television you control.
0: Always on rotation. The music video had your like your average movie song formula. It was like, mixing the artist performing with the movie clips and something i learned which i love by the way this video has almost been scrubbed from the internet i couldn't find really it. i could only find it on facebook some person's account the original features is brian adam in a forest singing of course we need that on the internet we this is pop culture moment we need pop singer making a fool of himself in a forest for a movie to get that paycheck. This is what movie songs, music videos can do. We need it, we are owed that.
2: Considering how much play that song got then and still has on Spotify now, you'd think that it would be somewhere.
1: I always think this song's video especially has a real VH1 vibe. Yes. And that may be kind of a dead concept. Some people will be like, what's VH1? But there was a certain style of video that was always on VH1 that wasn't always on MTV. (laughs) <laughs> this has got a real safe VH1 the B-sides, vibe. B
0: sides of music videos. It was a little softer, a little
1: more romantic, maybe. You yeah. know, I could. This was a, probably played all but the time. That of was VH1. a
2: pre Flava Flave VH1. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a different era. <laughs> right. that, that was appealing to a different, a different audience, maybe. By
0: the way, research in our research. Apparently, the original music video, the one with Brian Adams making a fool of himself in the forest, was directed by Julian temple hope i pronounced his name right which i didn't know of him but apparently he's a documentarian and music video director who's known for his work with sex pistols david bowie and rolling stone and if you're wow. asking yourself why is this guy directing this video why did he agree to this apparently it was shot walking distant from his cottage in uptown town called I, i'm sorry i'm butchering this but quantox Somewhere in England. I don't know, but... If you're from there, (laughs) shout out to you. (laughs) What a flex. I'll do this music video if you do it on my backyard so I can go walking every day to work. Sure.
1: I mean, it clearly paid off. If he got royalties or residuals from from it, it was a a very smart decision. Mm -hmm. So
0: let's start talking about the song because there's a lot of categories in movie songs, which hopefully we have a bright future ahead of us and we'll cover many of them on the podcast. But... This one actually falls in Melody of the Song is also used in the orchestral score of the film.
2: Yeah. This so is I one of those theme.
0: Yeah, this is yeah. one of those movie songs that features the same melody as we know. Michael Kamen wrote the melody of the song he used in his score and let me play you a little bit of that. This is a score? Michael Kamen? Sweet, sweet melody as he writes it. Mm.
1: I, had, I do think that's one of my favorite parts about this, though. Uh, you know, going back to it is that it is connected to that, to those moments as, the, as their, as their love theme. Um, I do think that's a neat, neat aspect of it. Because I don't think that's always true. And it's with hard kind to of do. of these
0: pull out songs. It's, it's hard to do. Like, it's hard to, for film melodies don't always translate to pop melodies. Like, right, right. There's some amazing example. Here's a, an amazing example. Every night in my dreams, James Horner wrote the I'll melody. Our namesake. Or can we say, yeah, inspire for our name? But just to show you how hard it could be, same composer, James Horner, a not-so-good example. Sorry. I don't even know this one. Sorry if you if for that any was fans. Land before time. That was The Powerhouse, Diana Ross. Uh, Diana. A song called If We Hold On Together for the Land Before Time. Great film. Masterful score by James Horner. An amazing. It's okay song. It's just pop music. It's different from film music. It doesn't always translate. And it's a very subgenre of movie song, very, a very special category to be able to write a good pop song that based on the score so again michael Kamen, you are the master
2: knocked it out of the park because sometimes when you, the diana ross clip and i would never think i would say this about diana ross but that song was a little boring as a
0: pop tune that's the thing it's just as a pop tune you have yeah. different responsibilities you know and true it's hard to be a pop song that's all i'm gonna say it's hard to be a really good pop song and get charted <laughs> on the radio and stuff yep
1: well, and same translation going backwards. Like we know I know it's very popular to put pop songs in movies, but it's very hard to really it just insert a pop song into a, a moment in a movie and make it fly.
0: They have a tough translation both directions. Right. Yeah. Sophie, you said Michael Kamen knocked that out of the park. Again, take a detour here from Brian Adams for a second, but enough cannot say about Kamen's orchestral score. It's considered a classic in, in film music in the adventure genre. And it yeah, almost I'm makes to the like, film good. Like the amount I'm, of heavy lifting he's doing in this film, the score is just amazing. I've been to fans of film music events where I've, I've heard people saying that this is the score that ins- got them into film music. This is well, the I'll- thing that like breakthrough this is like, it is so good that some of you might know this score without even realizing. I'll, I'll show you something.
1: We have our heading. Here we go.
0: From the magic within our hearts
1: to the adventure beyond the horizon.
0: A lot of people might recognize that because that's Disney DVD a promotion that they used to put on. I think in I the remember that in the late '90s, maybe early 2000s home releases Disney. Uh, no, because we we had Pirates of the Caribbean on there, so it's
2: a little bit later.
0: Oh, okay. So, yes, Mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. But that's what they they're they're jingle for their home entertainment releases. And they were like, this score is so good that we're just going to use it. We're not going to have a composer write anything like this is amazing. It's hard for me not to
1: gush about Cayman's contribution to this movie and stay focused on Brian Adams sometimes, you know, because I just I, I totally agree. His score is just monumental and one of my favorites. All time.
2: Like Paolo said, it almost made the movie better because there were moments where I was like,
0: feel, I'm having a more yes. emotional reaction to yes. this than the, the performances. The, the training montages <laughs> yes. and everything. And like, I gotta say, when Robin shoots that arrow and you got that music and the and the POV of point of view of the arrow and it just mm-hmm. goes through, like that is what I remember from the film. I was like, oh yeah, this is a complete banger. Like those are the things that stick with you.
1: I have no doubt that it would look less rosy with uh, like a generic forgettable score on top totally of it. and people would talk even less about this movie if that was true it totally elevates it
0: yep sophie you mentioned brian adams back to brian adams and not just brian adams but the producer Mott lang took cayman's melody and <laughs> check this out apparently it took them 45 minutes to write the song
2: I believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I believe it. Pretty basic. Oh, yeah.
0: It's pretty basic. <laughs> that was a bit savage. You yeah. said it for other reasons. I, I'm just meant for like, it reminds me of like that Danny Elfman story where like he wrote The Simpsons in just a couple of minutes and that's making him the most money. Brian Adams, four or five minutes it took him probably said for the rest of his, li- his life.
2: I listened to this song a lot in preparation for this and it is sort of just a cycle with a very long instrumental break in the middle. Well, yeah, exactly. T- toward
1: the end, so. And they knocked out a couple of like four minute sections. We're like, so let's just solo here. And then we've got that two and a half minutes take care of. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Robert Lang it's one of the most famous rock producers and songwriters. And you can just feel his bl- blueprint in this song. His credits, it's like an embarrassment of riches. He worked with ACDC on Back in Black, which is just the second best best-selling album of all time. And you can feel his DNA throughout this song. Here, let me play a little bit. stretching
2: no i get it
1: totally yeah that i get it too i was thinking about pour some sugar on me too from that yeah yeah. I, i had
0: that was the music that i listened to a lot as a teenager in my early 20s i was really big into like 80s pop hair metal and hate all of it
1: well any respectable hair metal band had a power ballad because that's where they're gonna
0: make a bunch of money true but this is why i feel like one of the things i love about this song it's power ballad i've mentioned that before movie power ballad especially hard to find a better example of this and there's so many but that name like i feel like this era specifically where we we're just coming out of the 80s we're entering the 90s this is just like that sweet spot where that's 80s style is still you can use it but you're also moving ahead and it's like if you again i just want to if you listen to this that name power ballad like it feels like this the song feels like this
2: It's also in the vocal styling, too. It,
0: yes, yes. I do have to say, like, I really like the texture that Ryan Adams bring. We're going to have a lot of power, power ballads in our pod and in movie song. This is like a very rich subgenre. But this one just feels extra special for me just because of the instrumentation and that sweet spot of that transition period.
1: I, I think, too, it's an important moment because things are about in the rock world, things are about to get a lot rougher. Like true oh yes the wimpy side of, of hair metal <laughs> you know nirvana's right on the cusp here of blowing up and ryan adams kind of walks that line with his voice of having that kind of rougher a little more vocal fry kind of kind of a tone right that's just about pearl jams right around the corner here and things are going to change a lot so in some ways this is like this is kind of a goodbye to some of that power ballad era because I think things in these music songs changed by 95 a lot.
2: Well, David, that's actually a really great point because I want I pulled some other songs that came out in 1991. And I guess <laughs> I originally intended to kind of be like what the hell 1991 we had other options here. <laughs> but okay, so we this is when we're seeing a lot of the music switching to a different style of rock as you said, but also we're getting more R and B and rap. So we have yeah. "Emotions" by Mariah Carey. Absolutely. 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 Absolutely iconic. We have "Losing My Religion" by REM come out this year.
0: That's me in the losing my religion.
2: I want to "Sex You Up" by Color Me Bad. Enter Sandman by Metallica. O P P by Naughty by Nature. Like we have
0: things we are have changing. This is here. this is the last dying yeah. <laughs> moment. I should say that's the word. But for this instrumentation and man they they sure went out riding high in the sunset yeah what a way to go they went (laughs) out with a
2: bang he was charting for forever but yeah they sent their
1: spokesman up front and they said lead lead us into the lead us into the sunset yeah because you know bands like poison you know things like that that they did not make it into the 90s well
2: not until rock of love did did
0: brett michaels get back (laughs) back on the on the Airwaves
1: Crawling his way back to, to notoriety. What is
0: the, the person I do a great impression of? Daisy. Daisy, from, yeah. From Rock of Love. Yeah. Support us on Patreon if you want to hear my Daisy impression. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned about the posses. and I have to interrogate you because yeah. you mentioned it in a negative way. But I love the passes in this song. And passes, I mean this. Oh, the piano comes in. It's not over. The song's not over. We're, we're still gonna keep going.
2: <laughs> that's so, a good one, but there is one that's a fake out where you think yeah, the song is exactly.
1: over. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> Thank you.
2: But it's the same. And the piano comes,
1: comes
0: back in. Comes back in.
1: This could be a relic too of the era of having a single mix versus an album mix. Totally. Because it, there's a spot at four minutes. It's like four minutes and three seconds. Because mm-hmm. I, I I turned every time it happened today when I was listening to the song. And I went, okay, that's it. And then I went, oh, oh what? I got two thirteen left.
2: Yeah, and then of it, instrumentation and ad libs. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. but it, I, no, 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 no. I call it. There's a no vibes way it was played like of that. Of vibes. <laughs> that's where we go. We got two minutes yeah, left is, of vibes. Yeah. You're welcome, true. audience. That's <laughs> the moment where he's performing live. Everyone's just like, oh,
2: yeah, it's my. You God. know what it might have well, been. They were like, the credits aren't over. You got to go for two more minutes and there's no more song (laughs) left.
0: Ooh, That's
1: a good call. You know, I've got the Blu-ray teed up here. I'll have to check at the end. I'm not quite there yet. I'm just going to rant, though, that I hate that two minute fake out because it, it really, really is like, okay, and that's it. And then. And it's like, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah. you stopped, you stopped. <laughs> yeah, so you don't get to then, start again. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with it kind of being so meandering. They never get back to the chorus in the same
0: way. Mm-hmm. Man, we have so much to cover here on this pod, but I need to talk about something very important. Is Brian Adams the GOAT of movie songs? I have a very that solid can't argument. can't be true. The, the oh David oh David David I'm willing to listen, but I my gut my gut says no. So let me give you a couple of examples. Sophie has already mentioned a couple, but is there an artist whose body of work, his most celebrated music? I'm not talking about the biggest hits. You know, obviously Whitney Houston and The Bodyguard, one of the best selling, the Bee Gees, but also the albums as an overall body of work and how many hits on movies you can get. And not only how many hits you can get, but also your most acclaimed work is on movies, with the exception of Summer of '69. Every time Brian Adams met with a movie, he just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Let's start with Heaven, which we didn't even know here—a podcast about movie songs. No clue was from a movie. I'm fighting, I'm Amazing song, great hit. The one we're discussing today, one of the biggest global hits, like what again, 16 weeks. Yep. Insane. He doesn't stop there. He teams up with Rob Stewart, Sting. And he has another hit for the That's a pretty good back-to-back yeah. like- as far as sales go.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That song is just pure chaos.
0: <laughs> great chaos though it's great all of them chaos. it's
2: all of them at
1: 100 great <laughs> chaos it's definitely taking all the things that they just that they laid out with this song and saying but what if we times to buy three yeah and and, and and it's kind of audacious and this song was also very very big but i don't think it's as big as a Everything
0: I do though by far. No, definitely. No, no. But he doesn't stop there. You I could end it there. Three huge songs and movies. Mm-hmm. He teams up again with the team from this song. Michael Kamen, Robert Lang. They have another hit with Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman from Don Juan De Marco 1994. To really level one to understand all balance. King of, king of ballads. Deep Sophie is like nodding
1: her this head. Sounds, like, uh, I, like, this sounds uh, like a guy who's well ran dry. And he's like, you know what I'm going to have to keep doing? <laughs> See if I can make more more movie ballads. Blasphemy,
0: David. Blasphemy. <laughs> this was a that hit. was fine.
2: The only person who I can think of who might top Brian Adams would be Kenny Loggins.
0: That is, that's a thing. That is, I'll finish the Brian Adams argument. Okay. This was such a big hit. This was early night, 91. Cataclysmic hit that I feel like you can argue there were movie ballads before that. He did not invent that form, But this being such a big hit, you can argue that he sends a trend that lasts literally a whole decade. 90s are ruled, no matter if it's a natural film, whatever it is, movie ballad is the language of movie songs. We have Kiss from a Rose, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, my heart will go on, huge, huge ballads, '90s, and you can kind of pick point to like this is a big bang. So not only does he have his hits, but he sets or is a big part in setting a trend for a decade. All I I'm saying is for I my think that's fair for my point of view. He kind of he is the reigning. We're we're on us on this journey with the podcast. We'll see. Kenny Loggins has a good chance. Yeah. Once we get to Kenny Loggins, which will. Be very soon with a Top Gun episode that is cooking at the moment. We'll see. But he might he might be. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. But
1: he I might be I think he's responsible girl. for a big trend. I, I I I totally
0: agree with you on that part.
2: Yes, I agree. I think he may have started the trend, but I don't think he did it best.
0: Oh, no, no. I mean, I mean Whitney Houston, like, that was but here's one the thing. of the biggest Whitney, soundtracks ever. Whitney didn't
2: pr- need the bodyguard to make that album a smash. That album oh, yes, and yes, that movie yes, yes, was a yes. smash because of Whitney Houston.
1: For the sake of argument, I'm I'm just going to give you this. His batting average, he's been at bat a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we did an episode on Sting. Had a lot of opportunities in movie songs. Does not to have a hit that's not as great as Brian Adams' hit? It's not an easy thing to do. It's just like, I don't I'm know. Gonna... It's this weird, perfect storm of things that happen. And, and great artists like Sting have not achieved it And I'm going to go back to
1: necessity is that Sting didn't need to because <laughs> yeah, he true. was banging true. out true. things like Fields of Gold. Brian Adams uh, uh, was not creating these memorable records after a certain period in his life. So he's like, I think I need another movie here to kind of keep, <laughs> keep myself in royalties. I
2: totally agree. Sting was saving it for his albums.
0: And I think <laughs> exactly. he phoned it in a little bit on the all movie right, side. All, right, all right. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, honestly. Again, chime in audience, social, like I really, this is a really interesting argument.
2: So I touched on it a little bit earlier with Brandy, but this song has been heavily covered. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Going back to Brandy, would you be surprised to know that this song has very recently had some new life breathed into it?
1: Oh, I would.
2: Well, on TikTok, there was a trend going on using... Brandy's cover, the the instrumental beginning of Brandy's cover. (laughs) Wow. So that was making its rounds as a trend. And I... I'm going to describe a TikTok, which just sounds geriatric anytime anyone does that. But basically (laughs) to that song, people were acting like they were being shot and then would dance (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) And people had multiple interpretations of that. But that was making the rounds. Internet algorithms picked up on this because when I was typing into Google, into Spotify, everything I do, Brandy's version was popping up first. Before the Brian mm-hmm. Adams version. And we just talked about what a smash hit the Brian Adams version was. Every radio station played at every event. And now in the year twenty twenty two. I forgot. <laughs> and now it is 2022, yeah, but. and now in the year twenty twenty two, Brandy is overtaking it because of this. I don't even know what is- brought up this audio about on TikTok.
1: There's another pretty odd cover out there that I I found while, while we were hitting up all these different versions by an Irish band called the Fatima Mansions. And it is an extremely 90s, underground industrial rock band kind of take. And I was really surprised by it.
0: <laughs> wow. Ah. What what even like what music genre would you call that? Like mushroom well, music? <laughs> nah, this is Trooms? like a, this is like an industrial
1: this is like an industrial rock scene that was happening in late 80s, early 90s. Very, very 90s style.
0: It's just totally surprising. More on this cover on your research, uh Sophie, you mentioned that Michael came and wanted to write the song from Made Marion's point of view. Right. Well, I think this band, this band's cover. Mm-hmm. It's from Marion's point of view. You make me crazy. I haven't had an orgasm, you jerk.
2: That might be from I Alan think- Rickman's character's point of view.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this isn't my favorite cover, though. Favorite cover of this song is this guy. And Michael realized that he could never turn his brother in. Job, meanwhile, (laughs) was having a similar epiphany.
1: Do it for you.
0: Shout out to the fans of Arrested Development.
1: Joe Gluth.
0: That's going to need a rewatch. I think it's time for answerable questions. Yeah,
2: let's get into it. Let's go
0: it. Yeah, I'm ready. Seven seconds in heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you Goosebomb? Our guest, David, you have the honors. What is it? I'm a big fan of a bridge, you know, of the song that really
1: builds up to that chorus. Uh, That's one of my favorites. In fact, it's hard to make it just seven because you give that whole 25 second bit to Crescendo. I think that's my favorite part of the whole song for sure.
0: Uh, we can we can go on, but we got Sophie to your seven seconds.
2: Okay, so I know I gave the instrumental break some flack, but uh, here oh. it is. <laughs>
0: yes! Fives.
2: Yeah, I mean that guitar is pretty cool. I don't. I mean, like d- the seven seconds, that like, give me goosebumps. I don't know if that happened in this song, but I think. <laughs> my ear was craving something different because, again, this song, a little repetitive. So when we got to this part, like I was like, oh, okay, I guess I like that guitar. Oh. That's it.
0: You guys are not seeing the true gem here. There's a moment in this oh, song it, where- enlighten us. There's a moment <laughs> in this song where it's pure goosebumps, and I'm just going to play it. I'm just going to say it'll probably cause goosebumps. Just to clip. <laughs> yeah! Oh my god. Sorry. Uh, no
1: goosebumps here. <laughs> <laughs> no goosebumps, but it's yeah. a good That's a good moment. Sure. In the construction uh, of this song, that's a pretty good moment.
0: Favorite lyrics. Moving on. Favorite lyrics, David. Um kind of doubles
1: <laughs> as my cringe, cringe
0: part. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, uh,
1: is when he commits to lying on their behalf. I think was it I'd lie for you? Like kind of like, you know, if you want to get into a criminal conspiracy, I'm willing to lie with you. Uh, maybe we can do some theft, all in the sake of of love. That's my favorite lyric because I I think that's a really terrible basis for a relationship.
2: That reminds me, there is a fifth harmony song called Down, and there is a lyric that goes, there ain't no kind of situation where I wouldn't cross a line for you. FBI interrogation, I would get up there and lie for you.
1: It seems like it might be admissible later too. Probably. I don't think it's wise. I just don't think it's
2: yeah. wise. I mean, that that's just
1: the depth of this relationship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. So, do you exactly. have any favorite ly- lyrics?
2: Again, like I said, this song's a little repetitive. I'm a lyrics person. Paolo, you're a total melody per- and music person. I'm a lyrics person. I like it when lyrics get really specific. This song stays at the surface, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of hard for me to pick a standout lyrical moment. Um, but since I'm pressed, I'll say, <laughs> don't tell me it's not worth fighting for. I can't help it. There's nothing I want more.
0: God, your energy on that. Yeah. I think you pulled the best out of a very shallow pool. Thank you, know. you David. Yeah, I was trying. <laughs> well, You've done well. Yeah.
1: Not,
0: not much to work Right, for. Sophie, you were absolutely right because I don't have one. I don't yeah. have one. It's all general lyrics. I mean, I th- I thought I had one, the dinosaur, but it's not even there. Sorry. So no, I don't have any favorite lyrics. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> has it aged well? We asked ourselves if the movie or the song has aged well. David, I think I'll start with you because you actually might have an interesting answer for. Here. I don't know. Well, okay. I-, I don't think
1: the movie's aged well. And I think the song has actually aged well because I do think it's kind of perennial for a lot of generic circumstances. I think it will remain a classic in quotes, uh, because it will be in weddings. It will be in all yeah. of these kinds of settings that need that kind of song. You know, it's gonna be there for folks. So I think the song has aged pretty well in those regards. I will say after this experience, I don't need to hear it for another five years. Yeah. I, I, I added got it into my playlist. No. Uh well then you <laughs> no. are a sadist of some kind. But you know what I mean. I I think it will have it. It will live on well beyond this. Mo- well beyond the film itself. It totally will.
2: I'm not sure if this one. I don't think the movie has aged well, and the song. No, for sure, no. I I don't think that the Brian Adams version is really here to stay that much longer. Like I think that the generations of people who are going to be playing this at dances and weddings are probably aging out and. Other songs will take its place, but I can't deny that the brandy version just had a remixed audio on
0: TikTok. So who who the hell knows? Oh, uh, you guys are so wrong. Uh, Well, the film has has not aged well, but the song, absolutely. All those covers, looking back at what it, the ripple effect it had on movie music and that genre and the trends and also a negative that the lyrics are so generic, but also doesn't date it. I mean, only the instrumentation, even if it's just a relic, I don't know. I think, I think it's age. Okay. It's age. Okay. Um, underrated or overrated? Is the song or movie underrated or overrated? David?
1: I think the song is overrated. While I think it will live on multiple listens, it devalues quickly. If you, I challenge our listeners here to sit down, listen to this three times in a row (laughs) and then consider what life is like at that third spin. Now there's other big classic love songs that I think you would get through the third time and say, this is still a beautiful song. So it will last
0: and then it will crash. So it might be a little overrated. I just like this song. I disagree. I don't think it's the song is underrated or overrated. It's just, it's okay. Um, Hall of Fame moment. Who or what had their best moment in pop culture with this movie or song? It could be anything, a person, a studio, film, music genre, whatever, David. Do you have any observations, any theory, Hall of Fame moments?
1: As a, sure, I totally do. As a non-Harry Potter person, <laughs> this is, to me, this is Alan Rickman having the most fun of his life. And I don't so, know, diehard. When I think of Alan Rickman, th- this is this is what I, he's having so much fun. Oh, fun. And so, <sighs> I, I think he's just having a great time. I But I have zero affection for Harry Potter. I have not even seen all of the movies. So, I maybe am in a, in a weird bubble Or maybe some people have a lot of affection from that era, but... People
2: definitely have the sentimentality, as I do, for that Professor Snape performance. And that is my main reference point when it comes to Alan Rickman, besides maybe Love Actually. Hans
0: Gruber, come on, guys. Hans Gruber.
2: For fun-having and for also movie-saving performances, absolutely, Alan Rickman. Hall of Fame moment for bad hair. Oh, I mean, a mullet for Robin. You stumped me with
0: that. Made Marion's
2: hair. Ooh, is...
0: yes. damn.
2: Is Made Marion's hair period appropriate? <laughs> that has to be the only. But then Robin's isn't. So like, why do they look like that?
0: I'm just. Right. Quick no brainers. Brian Adams. His biggest hit. Yeah. Single. Sure. Like has to be like, this is what people probably know most of him, I think.
2: I mean, tune for it... tune. I like Summer of 69 better.
0: <laughs> that song feels a little bit more timeless
1: than this one does.
0: Well, Michael Kamen, Michael Kamen, I think this is Hall of Fame moment for him. I think this is like most beloved and celebrated film score.
2: Yes. Score, yes.
0: Remix. Which of today's current artists or band would you pick if the movie came out today for the song? David, do you have an option? I'm going to pick somebody I love from a
1: band that isn't around anymore, but there is a a band called The Walkman. Hmm. Uh, And there is a guy in, in the singer from it. His name is another great name. His name is Hamilton Lighthouser and he has a really cool voice and I think he could do a nice ballad like this and maybe also make the instrumentation spark it up a little bit go put on 1969 by Hamilton Lighthouser and listen to him kind of croon.
0: Sophie?
2: I don't really know who to pick, but I was trying to think of someone who could make this song a little bit cooler. Tough task. I know it is a tough task because, like, it's just so cheap. Bad Bunny? <laughs> I would listen <laughs> to that all day if it was Bad Bunny. <laughs> no, but I thought of someone like The Weeknd who could maybe, like...
1: Don't I don't hear. know if they make it cooler. No. You could flip it. You could flip it. Flip the gender, too. Get Lizzo or somebody like that to make, make something more funky. And I don't...
2: <sighs> I mean, if you completely... St- stripped it all the lyrics out and and just replaced it with some real content
0: yeah (laughs) and the remix section is either we have a libel moment we're inspired or we're like damn what but this is not my pick if this song came out today i feel like the studio pick would be Et sharon oh i can see that i can i can see that too like i think but he is also such a
2: lyricist that he would completely
1: redo all the
0: lyrics it sounds it's for the
1: better
2: yeah
0: his
1: voice is so clean. I think one of Cayman's best choices about this is saying that he wanted that rougher voice with it. Because Ed's is so pure. You know, that tone is is pretty clean to me.
0: WTF, a moment from the movie or song you think might have needed a second opinion, David? Well, I'll
1: start with the song. I just, the second, the whole last two minutes, just, just wrap <laughs> yeah. that up. Wrap that up or make your solo like 30 seconds longer and, and let's just land this bird.
2: Yeah, David, totally agree on all those points. As far as the song goes, if they had landed it, if they had brought it back to a chorus and made it just like bombastic at the end, it would have at least justified that instrumentational break. But uh, yeah, it, they just it just sort of peters out after that. There's not really a reason for the break. So I'll give it to that for the song.
0: My pick is from the movie. And it's by Asim, Morgan Freeman's character. He fucking slashes a horse in the face when fighting. He gets that sword and just like absolutely like dashes this horse across the face. I remember watching. I was like, holy man, what? Like. The horse, like, why would you do that? Yeah, the horse doesn't know what it's doing. To be continued, should we revisit this movie and talk about other songs in the soundtrack? I can do us all a favor. No, there's no, there's another song, but nothing worth talking about yeah. it. So no, we're not going to come back to this. <laughs> yeah, soundtrack.
2: There's nothing left to be discussed. And I'm glad.
0: Will the song go on? Will the song live on and continue to be part of pop culture, David? I'm going to say yes, because people
1: are going to remember the love between Little John and his wife, Fanny. And they'll see that this song's really about them because the they were really romance. the best true love yeah. of this whole movie was uh, Little John and Fanny.
2: Oh, I don't know if it will. At least not I mean, the TikTok Brian Adams is giving version. it live. What are
0: you talking about? Yeah,
2: but the Brandy version and the part without <laughs> any lyrics. Like the first time I heard, I saw that, you know, someone using that audio, I didn't even connect that it was this song. It took a couple, you know, repeat viewings to me be like, oh shit, that's the brandy, everything I do, I do it for you.
0: I think absolutely. I think it's a classic ballad or so. I mean, a preview to what's to come in the YouTube comments, but it's clearly moving on in a certain context. With that said, Sophie, YouTube comments. What did we find online? What's the shatter about this song?
2: As you said, like the video is hard to find. So there's not a lot of YouTube comments, but let's get into it. Never ignore a person who loves you, cares for you, misses you because one day you might wake up from your sleep and realize that you lost the moon while counting the stars.
1: Ooh, wow, this one's really personal.
2: Is that what happens in this song? I don't think that's what the song is about.
1: No, this is yeah. somebody this is somebody yeah. whose night got dumped and they were right. listening to this and they're in full
0: mourning. What else?
2: No bad words, no nudity, no fake acting, pure talent plus meaningful words plus true performance equals legend song
0: okay so so they're celebrating uh, the amazing. fact that there's no nudity there and- is
2: a you see Kevin Costner's butt in
0: this movie. So there's a but little yeah, Are they are talking, talking about, about the music video or the, song? or the movie. Yeah, like why I would think, there yeah, be nudity maybe. on like Brian is not going to be naked on the waterfall with his guitar. That would've made it. it better. For sure. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you it's it's always makes me laugh too is that when people was like there was no nudity, but hands were cut off and horses were slashed in the face yes. and you know, but no Just, cursing. just good old fashioned violent filmmaking. No buts though. Thank goodness.
2: Okay, last one. This song is the our song that brought my husband Richard and me together. We heard it separately before we ever met, and we both knew that this was the love we had waited for our whole lives.
1: <laughs> this is love. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, the- this is why this song's gonna live on. Yep. Unfortunately.
2: Well, when we met, we were astonished to learn that we had both felt the same way watching Robin Hood and hearing Brian's song, Thousands of Miles Apart. Only six months later, we met. Then roughly two years after first hearing the song, we were married. And this was our first dance at our wedding in
1: 1993. Wow. Yes. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Now, this also, though, you can tell from this comment, you know how old these folks are, right? Well, exactly. Because right. they got married a couple years. So this is, they got married like 93, 94, okay? Uh-huh. So these are the Kevin Cosner moms out there who were, who knows, 18 to 25 when this movie came out, were maybe swooning over KC over and then got married right after that.
0: Yep. Something tells me Richard has somewhat of a mullet like her
1: I like, hope like Robin. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also, he's I, like not only yeah. the summer. He's like, oh, you look like having great call. From- <laughs> I,
2: I also feel badly for those wedding guests because did they have to sit through a six-minute first dance? <laughs>
1: if you invite, I hope they do that four-minute version. Yeah, hopefully. They,
0: they, they cut a couple. Unfortunately, minutes. Unfortunately, while yeah. this coming is nice. It kind of makes this song feel like the wayfarer of movie songs. The of movie. Yeah, I don't know, that's like, uh, but I like it. I, I and I'm not gonna say it's guilty pleasure because if you like something, you like it. It's not guilty. It's not a thing. I like this song, but that's a wrap for today's episode. Um, David, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It was such a blast. Thank you for uh, picking anytime. this song.
1: Anytime. Anytime. I love. I love. This has been a lot of fun. I'd do this anytime.
0: And please check out, again, Cannot Say More About Davis' musical taste. And if you check out his YouTube channel, The Vinyl Score, you'll be grateful You'll discover a lot of gems, even on the remix section. Like you had some, you always have some deep cuts, man. So check out The Vinyl Score, like it's really fun. Sophie, as always, thank you so much for our amazing work on the pod, on the episode, your research. This was a fun one. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please follow us on our social accounts Instagram, Twitter, at The Song Will Go On. Also, our website, thesongwillgoon.com. We cannot wait to catch you again on the next song. We're going to continue this journey. Let's see if, if Brian Adams gets the throne as the goat. We'll see. Let's go. We have so much to cover. See you in the next song. The Song Will Go On is written, researched, and produced by Safi Matano and Paolo Gracie. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are J.P. Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Safi Matano and Paolo Grassini. The song will go on. It's a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at Gigawatts underscore YouTube.